Welcome to the Health in Motion podcast. I'm your host, Evie Takis. I'm a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner who loves to help people achieve their wellness goals they once thought were impossible to reach. I am the owner of Holistically Restored, and through my coaching practice, I have been able to guide my clients through their own health journeys and teach them to truly understand their body. With a focus on hormone, thyroid, and weight management, I strive to instill the knowledge, confidence, and encouragement everyone deserves. If you enjoy this content, I'd love for you to subscribe and also leave a review on Apple Podcast. Please tell your friends, family, or anyone who is curious about bettering themselves in a holistic way. The more, the merrier. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and is not to be taken as medical advice. I am so happy you're here and ready to learn. Let's do it. All right, let's dive in. Thank you for being here. I'm super excited you're here. Yes, get a chance to talk and share your goods with everybody. So let's start by you sharing who you are. Tell me about your business and all that good stuff. Well, my name is Maggie Lawson. Um, I'm a chef and artist. Um, I'm a daughter. I'm a granddaughter. I'm an entrepreneur. super spiritual being to not sound too woo woo, but <laughs> no, we love it. We love the woo woo. <laughs> okay. I'm going to bring the woo then. Um, and I own two businesses actually one business in Oakland, California called the heirloom chef. Um, it's a personal chef team. And then I started a business here two years ago in Cincinnati called Goosefoot cook and grow. And so we have a meal, a locally sourced meal delivery service, and we want to launch some classes this year. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I'm excited for those classes to launch. Me too. Yeah, right. Yeah, you're like, yes, me too. Get yes. To- <laughs> I'm going to keep telling the world so it actually happens. Yes, it will. It will. Thank when you. this when this gets out, we're going to be like, all right, we're waiting for those classes. There's going to be a wait list for it. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, yeah, we're going to do I'm going to I think we're I'm planning on partnering with a local artist, um an environmental educator and farmer. Her name is Lyric Morrison. And which is great because that feels so supportive and um, we have a lot of overlap in terms of our values and thoughts around this stuff. And our goal is to do a pilot group. So we're going to like try it out with a group of people, get their feedback and then launch it more formally to the rest of the world. But that's, that's kind of how I like to grow things is try it out. So you understand where all the holes are, what's not working, what people want too. you know, we're like designing this for them, not just for us. So, right. You might think like, oh, this would be a great part of the class. And then people are like, eh, like I could, I'd rather actually focus on this. And you might not know that that was higher demand. So I think that's a great way of going around it. it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm from Middletown. I grew up in Middletown and then I moved to California right after I finished my undergrad at UC, um, University of Cincinnati. And I still feel like I'm learning the culture here. Yeah, because you left like as a young adult, like you started your adult life not here. Yeah. So moving back, talk to me about that. So you moved out there. How did you start the Heirloom Chef? Like, how did you, you, how did you become a chef? Like, what is that background for you? Yeah, well, in college, I was studying international relations in French and I thought I might be a diplomat or a college professor, which is so funny. (laughs) Um, I mean, and I don't think there was like, that was totally off. Like I'm very adventurous. I love foreign languages. I lived abroad for a couple of years in college and right before college. And when I was like, really like, what do I want to do with my life? I was obsessed with food. I was cooking for all my friends, like constantly having dinner parties. I like, you know, I was like a junior in college. And I'm like, I should go to culinary school. But like, I want to do work that I feel like has a deeper impact on the world. And I felt like culinary school would kind of just put me on the restaurant track. Not to say that restaurants can't have that impact, but it didn't seem like the most direct correlation for me. So I got a job with AmeriCorps at a health center, and I was a nutrition and cooking educator, basically. Um, I also helped start a school garden there. Very cool. Yeah, in Oakland. So that was like my first, I was like, this is my dream job. I read about Alice Waters. Do you know her? No. She's a chef that started a restaurant in Berkeley, California. She also... Uh, had lived in France. I lived in France for a year and was really into like regional foods, something that like at that time, it probably was like 40 years ago, maybe more, wasn't popular. Like folks were like, I want the fanciest thing from the farthest away. Right. Yes. Yeah. That was what was fancy. And Alice Waters started working with local chefs or local farms. I'm sorry. (laughs) She was a chef. She's a chef. Um, And like sourcing like you know, these weird peaches that they couldn't sell at the market, things like that, and really trying to like define what regional food was. And in Northern California specifically, 
and was kind of like one of the grandmothers of like local food there. Yeah. And that idea, although that idea is like ancient, it's not something she invented. Um, and so she had a project in Berkeley called the Edible Schoolyard where she taught kids how to cook from the garden. She started a garden in this school. It's a gorgeous space, like broke up the blacktop and built a cooking center with money she was able to fundraise and then taught the kids how to cook from the garden. Wow. And that's when I, amazing. Yeah. When I saw that in the New York Times, I was like, this is my job. This is where I need to go. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, it was like tying all these things together of like community, like philanthropic work and then cooking. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I applied for this like AmeriCorps position there, but it was connected to all these other organizations. And I ended up in um, in Oakland. Um, and I did that for five years and it was great. It was such a great experience. I worked with high school through like elementary school kids. I taught high school kids how to teach cooking. And then they taught the elementary school kids, like wrote a whole curriculum on how to do that. Um, and then we lost our funding for the project. And at that point, I had started making visual art. And I was like, OK, I really want to be a visual artist. Um, and everyone I talked to, I was like, how do I do that? Like, how do I make a living? This makes no sense. Yeah. <laughs> like, artists don't get paid. How do they do it? You know? And a lot of folks said having some sort of dual career was great. And I mean, I never lost my passion for food. It wasn't like, oh, I don't care about food and I want to be an artist. It was like, you know, most artists I know are super multifaceted and interested in a lot of things and usually geek out about a few. So this is this is the thing that I geek out about to this yeah. day, fortunately. And, you know, I, I didn't have any formal training as a chef. You know, I'd definitely been teaching cooking for those five years and been cooking for my family since I was a little girl. And I wasn't like, super juice on the idea of being like a line cook you know it's a really hard life it's super male dominated I was like not excited about spending my days in a restaurant kitchen with a lot of men <laughs> just yeah. not my style yeah I yeah. came from nonprofits. So I was like totally woman focused um and so I got a job through a friend I actually had been um spent I spent a month at a meditation center in Carmel which was off the grid in their kitchen doing a work trade. So it was a Zen Buddhist meditation center. Wow. Yeah, it was amazing. And one of the cooks there, because they had like head cooks, I was just like, you know, helping. I wasn't a head cook or anything. I was just like one of the, you know, helpers. Um, had been working for an older couple in Berkeley and they needed, he wanted, he didn't want to stay in the job. And so he wanted to help them find someone that was into meditation. And so they recommended me. Yeah. And I started working for that couple and I was kind of their assistant slash you know, personal chef, cook, um, and the business, you know, as I was growing my art practice and trying to figure out how to make a living, I had a nonprofit project that kind of failed. I mean, it was fun, but it didn't make any money. And, uh, I hired, I traded, I didn't hire, I traded with a life coach who was starting out too. Oh, cool. Okay. <laughs> and, um, cause I was just struggling so hard financially. It was, you know, really grueling at that moment. I was living in like one of the most expensive places in the country. It was the recession. Um, and she's like, you know, I, I worked for that older couple for a bit. I actually got an artist residency. And then when I came back, I, I found her because I was, you know, again, struggling. I, I loved your question about like, tell me about your journey. And I was like, usually when I'm struggling the most is when I'm willing to try new things. <laughs> yeah. So it was a it was a moment of like definitely a lot of pain around money and how to take care of myself and how to do these things I was really passionate about. And she was like, why don't I just try to find a few clients? Like just you know, and she was my client because I was cooking for her in exchange for the coaching, which was really fun because I was like, I love what she does. She's helping people every day. This is exciting. Again, like, how do I help people with cooking? And so I did that. And I was like, wait, this is a whole business. Yeah. You're like, wait a second. Like <laughs> a few clients is not just, you know what I mean? Like, it's not that simple. And then she was also like, Maggie, everything you say you want to do involves being your own boss. I think you're an entrepreneur. And I was like, what? No, I tried that. I tried that nonprofit. It failed. It didn't work out. I'm not, I can't do that. She's like, yeah, it's fine. It's okay. You fail. Think people fail all the time. Like most yes. entrepreneurs fail, as you probably know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Many times. And then maybe they start a successful business or inside of your business, you fail all the time. So I didn't know that. And I was taking it very, very personally that that hadn't worked out. And so, you know, it was it was a long process. It wasn't like an overnight thing. You know, for the first two and a half, almost three years, I had a part time job um, and I was the chef and the, you know, also the marketing expert and the all the things, 
you yeah. know, the accountant, the customer service. Yeah. When you are, it is just you, you are everything. <laughs> all the things. Um, so in my life was like rap. I was on call all the time because I would take whatever work came in. You know, it was really grueling. But again, like I was also making art. I was able to make art during the day, which felt really liberating and exciting. And it it kept growing. Like it started at almost nothing. And every year my sales would increase. And so that kind of I'm very diligent. Like that's um, a place that I can kind of look back in my life and be like, okay, I, I have a lot of follow through. And when I believe in something or I want something, I'm kind of willing to keep at it. Yeah. Um, so that diligence definitely paid off. I mean, in the beginning, there are definitely a lot of moments where I was like, can't just someone else give me a paycheck? Right. <laughs> that, yeah. That would be nice. So this was just word of mouth that you were growing or? Um, no, I did a lot of marketing okay. too. I did do a lot of marketing. I joined Business Networking International. So I did that for several years, which actually helped in a lot of ways because all those folks were small business owners. And I took it super seriously. So it helped me like step up my game and just bring a lot more professionalism to the marketing. Um, I had a website that I, I got a, a small grant through this local women's business organization. I also did a, like a kind of startup class where they helped me write a business plan. Um, I think those were the major ways. Uh, there were so many things. I did some pop-ups, you know, I felt like I was always kind of marketing. Yeah. I, I did some videos on YouTube. Yeah. I was always trying stuff. Yeah. Just trying it out. Yeah. yeah. And is this, so what you're talking about now, was this the heirloom chef? This, yeah. So okay. eventually it became the heirloom chef. Okay. Um, which I was the chef. Like yes, yeah. <laughs> you were the heirloom chef. I was the heirloom chef. It was not theoretical. It was actually Maggie Lawson for like five or six years. And then I got into grad school at UC Berkeley for art to get my master's in fine arts. And it, it had been, I was dealing with a lot of chronic pain. So, you know, working in a kitchen, no matter what scale you're doing, it is really hard on your body. And I just like, I'm kind of predisposed to pain. Um, I'd also had jaw surgery and that kind of set me on this weird pain cycle. So I was like, I can't be the, sh the chef. I can't be the heirloom chef. Like this is not tenable for the rest of my life. You know, um, even though I see like women like twice my age, I was like in my early thirties doing it still, you know, I, I just knew that that wasn't like going to be a good life for me. And also it's very scary to use your body for your work. Cause you're like, if something happens to your body, you don't have any more work. Yes. You know, especially when you're the only one and we all rely on our bodies for work. So that's I'm not saying that. Right. But, but you yeah, know. I mean, you're right. I mean, you you have a lot of people who if they can't use their hand, like if they're a surgeon, right, something happens to their hands. Well, that can kind of suck. Right. Like that's yeah. an impact their work. So yeah. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you like you in these questions you posed to me before you asked about my wellness journey. I think a lot of times like I'm willing to make changes when it's in alignment with these bigger visions that I have for my life. You know, so I, I wanted to be self-employed. I really enjoy being self-employed. It's challenging for sure, but I love that too. You know, I love a good challenge and I'm always growing and learning. So when I got into grad school, I was like, okay, this is the moment to hire folks. So yeah. I did. I hired um, Erica, who is my now business partner. Um, I hired a group of contractors and they started working for their own clients. I was still working for clients while I was in grad school, but a lot less than I had before. Like before I was doing like maybe six a week. And in grad school, I was doing a couple a week and then managing other people doing some of the direct service. And that was such a great change of pace because A, like those people are bringing all their energy and ideas and creativity into the business. And B, I'm not like, OK, I can't hurt myself. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, it takes the pressure off. It of took some pressure off. It definitely took some pressure off. Yeah. And I know a lot of small business owners are like, I don't want employees. And I'm like, it is it is now they're employees. They're contractors. And then they became employees eventually. I convert everyone to employees. It is scary and it is a risk, um, but I wouldn't do it any other way now. Yeah. And so that business is still there in California and you are working with local farms. Like what, what does that look like there? And then yeah. I want to hear more about what Goosefoot Cook and Grow looks like here. Yeah. So um, I have a business partner now. Uh, Erica is managing the team in California and we have six chefs right now, I think, that are all working with a like a caseload of their own clients. So between four and six clients each nice um and they go to people's homes and they cook for them one-on-one -on -one in their home very nice yeah okay. and it's super personalized i mean the whole service both businesses are very personalized that's part of our um our mission is to make it work for people's lifestyle and make sure that they get the food they need um you know you talk to people about nutrition all day every day and yeah you probably get the same sort of sense that i do that like there's a very wide range of what people think is healthy 
Exactly. And, and what I learned, because I was part of your launch when you launched Goose Foot Cook and Grow yeah, here. Yeah, you were. Which, you know, thank you for having me be a it part of that. And the, the almost like intake, right? Like the survey that you sent, the questions that you sent me of, hey, like, what's your diet look like? What is this? You know, do you prefer this? Do you want wild caught fish or does that not matter to you? And I'm yeah. like, um, this is amazing, <laughs> right? Like it was very personalized. Yeah. And you're like, do you like grains? What kind of grains? Um, what kind of dairy can you tolerate? And that was really important to me because again, it's so different for everyone. So, And that's what keeps me from using other meal prep services regularly is because mm. I'm like, well, they hit all these boxes, but this really important box, they're not hitting for me mm. and that's really hard. So I kudos for how specific you do get for people because it's yeah. very impressive that you take the time to do that. And it's a lot of work to yeah. actually follow through on that. So yeah, that, that, that survey, we have a version of that we use in California and a version we use in Ohio, but it's very similar across the board. Um, and I, I don't promote any sort of specific diet. I never will. You'll, you'll never see that from my business. I do promote local foods, but obviously can make local foods into different diets. So exactly. that's not an issue really. Exactly. Um, I, I really believe that like different things work for different people at different points in their life. And I want my business to support them in eating that way. Definitely. Um, I mean, folks that come to us are health focused. They're not, you know, generally we're not like getting a lot of food that is like not in the healthy spectrum. Yeah. Like you you're know not I mean? like a standard American diet type of yeah, like cuisine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like that's generally not our target market. So, you know, I don't really, but you know, that's healthy for some people for reasons I don't, you know, I don't need to understand. Right. Um. So yeah, that's, that's how it works in California. They fill the survey out. They get a personalized service from a specific chef. They get to develop a relationship with the chef. And that's what I've really enjoyed about the business itself. And I enjoyed when I was the chef, the heirloom chef was that like, I get to develop a relationship with these people and support them in their lives. And like, we have older people that we work with. We have folks that are dealing with serious health challenges, like bringing new humans into the world. You know, it's like it, having accidents that they need to recover from and need very specific types of food or they can't cook it for themselves anymore when they were used to eating at home and cooking for themselves. So it is super gratifying to see that our food is making a positive impact on people's lives. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So that's still up and running in California. Still going. Yeah. And then yes. how did you transition? So what brought you to Ohio? I know you're from here, but like, yes. how did you end up back here? How did you think like, okay, I need to bring, I need to keep doing my, my business here. What was that process like? I mean, it was a very twisty, turny journey. I'd love to be like, and then I just knew and I came and I was like, this is what you need Cincinnati. But no, it was not, it was not like that. Um, I thought I would spend the rest of my life in California. I mean, I really did love living there. There are a lot of things I liked about living there, but it's a pretty like, you know, California has this like laid back reputation. Um, but you know, I was living in the middle of like tech world. Like it was a hustle. Everybody I knew was just grinding so hard. It's the like highest cost of living in the country. Yeah. And um, I just realized that like, given who I was and what I needed in my life at this point, that wasn't manageable for me anymore. And then my mom got really sick and went in the hospital and I'm really close to my parents. And I was like, I don't want to spend, and we talked about them moving to California too for a few years, but I was like, it's not a good place for old people to live. There are these crazy fire seasons now. They've never lived here. They've always lived in the Midwest. Um, so I was like, I really want to spend the rest of their lives with them. Yeah. It's always been my vision to support them as they get older. And I want a like calmer life for myself like that I can't have in California. You know, I, there are things that I have in California that I can't have here that probably make my life a little calmer and better. But in general, my life in California was l way less calm. And really? you know, when you're younger, you want like excitement. As you get older, you want calm yeah I want to calm at least well it's interesting to hear that from you because we do think of California everything is laid back like it's so chill and so to hear that perspective of you where it's like no it was I was in the like hustle hustle and bustle everyone's grinding like this and that like yeah that's a really interesting perspective because when I think of health I'm like oh I want to go to the beach and like be surrounded by the water and this and the warm weather <laughs> and the traffic right and the traffic and, and the, the crazy rents and the housing insecurity I mean that was it too like I had a beautiful cottage to myself behind my landlord's house I lived there for three years I I love that space. And then they were like, we're going to move into your cottage. You have to leave. 
We're going to, yeah. you know, not because of any fault of my own, but just because that's what worked best for them financially. Yeah. And like, that was one situation. I was like near and 40 and I was like, my housing is insecure. I can't live the rest of my life with housing insecurity. It's so hard on your mental health. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So what are the things that I, I kind of want to dive into this now, actually, okay. what would you say is like really like in terms of health and wellness, what's really easy to do in California that's not easy here and vice versa? Like what makes it easier to be healthy here in Ohio versus... Good call. Yeah, because yeah. we can mix up these uh, paradigms. Yeah, like I'm just curious, like what would you say? Uh, I would say what was really easy in California is that like I drove like 15 or 20 minutes and I was in wilderness, Okay, you know, like in a space where there were no factory smokestacks and lots of trees and... And, and that folks are much more outdoor focused there than they are here. Like that's just more of the culture there. So that that part was easier. I also would bike more because it was just nicer more of the year and it was easier. There were a lot more bike lanes. It was easier to get on my bike and bike places. So some of the, like some of those things were easier. Also, the abundance of local produce. I mean, I've found some really good local produce here. So don't worry, farmer friends. I'm not going <laughs> to throw you under the bus. But like... We don't work with local farms directly in California because like the grocery store down the street from my house was a green grocer and they had like 10 types of apples from local farms, for example. Okay. So it's just know. a lot more accessible. It's and... a lot more accessible. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And diverse because of that, because there's, you know, it's, it's still where we get most of our produce. We have 80% of our produce from California still. Yeah. Okay. So you're like in that plus more than you're getting in Ohio because a lot of this stuff doesn't ship across the country. So those things were easier. Um, I would say what's easier in Ohio is I do have stable housing. I love my, I have this gorgeous apartment in Northside. I love where I live. It's very affordable. I know that if I get kicked out of that spot, I'll find another spot nearby. So that that's helped my mental health a, a lot. Oh, I'm sure. I don't have to have a roommate. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can sure. afford the place without you have a, a roommate. A decent, like a bigger size place. I'm imagining, right? It's a two right? bedroom. It's gorgeous. It's two floors, two bedrooms. It's so nice. Thank you, Roger. I appreciate you. If you ever listen to this podcast. Yeah. Um, probably not, but you never know. We never know. You never know who's your <laughs> listenership. Um, yeah, it's it's a gorgeous place in Northside. I really like it. I like my neighborhood. It's super walkable. Um, and I can afford to live in that neighborhood too, you know? So that that's one thing. And I just, the like, you know, I, I drive downtown. I can get downtown in like 10 minutes. I can find parking easily. Mm-hmm. I'm not waiting in a line of like 50 people to get into the new restaurant that I want to go to. Oh, it's yeah. just less crowded, you know, yeah. and like crowds and traffic and those things are like these constant like little the way I think about it is like this constant little like poking at your nervous system. Yes. And, you know, I think like, again, when I was younger, I valued excitement and I valued the newest, coolest thing. But as I got older, like that stuff doesn't matter as much, you know. So I'd much rather go downtown and not wait in a line than have to wait in a line and then not know how long. I mean, sometimes I wouldn't go places because the traffic was going to be so bad. Yeah. Like I know lots of people there that are like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, Like San Francisco is from to Oakland that like kind of Kentucky is from Cincinnati, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And people are like, I can't cross the bridge. I'm sorry. Wow. Because you just didn't know. Sometimes it'd be like an hour. Yeah. Sometimes it'd be 15 minutes. Yeah. That does. And I thinking about that, like that does add pressure. Like I'm kind of tense thinking about that of like, <laughs> I don't know if I could do that every day or that'd be my life. Because yeah. it is convenient knowing anywhere I go, I'm pretty much going to find parking. I might need to look around a little yeah. bit or drive around a little bit. But yeah, that like hustle and bustle and that like tightness of that, um, just that many people like that does sound very stressful and not yeah. being, but again, you had the ability to escape into the wilderness, which wasn't that far. Whereas yeah. here it's harder to do that. It's hard. Like I have to drive to the gorge, which is a couple hours away. I think the last thing that's been like better or healthier for me here is that like I've just stepped really easily into a community of creative people and into the local food scene. Like and and I found my people and not like everybody, obviously. People have been really welcoming and they're like, we want to work with you. We're so excited about what you're you're in a great example. You know what I mean? And like yeah. I think what had I mean, I went to grad school in the Bay Area so that I would develop this these relationships with other artists. And it was just like everybody was in such deep survival mode it's not a great place to extend yourself towards other people. You know, and right. a lot of times I remember moving here at first and I was like, this person was really excited about what I was doing. And I was like a little bit skeptical. I was like, what do they want? Why are they? <laughs> we being... want the local food. That's what we want. <laughs> no, but I was like, why are they being so nice to me? Like, what is this about? It's very strange, you know? And it's because for so long, there was just a like much higher barrier to entry into someone's 
sphere and life and professional world, you know, but like I found my people here very, very easily and just feeling welcomed in that way is much feels much healthier, like being able to build community way more easily and not and like those folks, you know, not to say that people aren't struggling here because there are a lot of folks struggling in different ways. But I feel like maybe because what I offer looks a bit different than other folks here, um, maybe people are more receptive because of that, too. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So so bringing your business here, what did that look? So you made the decision. I'm going to move here. I'm going to be closer to my family. Yeah. You know, how did you then get up and running? Like, what did what did that look like for you? Well, I wasn't 100% sure that I was going to try and start the business here. I thought about teaching art for a moment and I applied to some other jobs. I've always kind of been like, okay, what's next? You know what I mean? Like, not in the sense that it wasn't intentional, but also I kind of believe that the like the world has for you what you're supposed to step into the thing, not necessarily go out and like figure out the right next thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I can try to figure stuff out for a long time. And then I realize I'm like, okay, this is actually, I've just been trying to force this situation. So I, I guess I say that because when I decided to move, you know, part of the reason I didn't move sooner probably is because of my business, because I spent a decade building it. And I was like, I can't let go of my baby, you know, right. all that grinding for so many years. Um, so Erica, uh, one of my former employees, I guess, um, I mean, she was my former employee. Uh, I don't think of her as an employee anymore. That's part of the why I'm saying that. But um, I, she had, for many years, she'd been like, Maggie, let's start this business. Let's do that. Let's do this. And I was always like, I'm going to grad school, Erica. It's not there. You know what I mean? Like, I, not that I wasn't open to it, but I was like, this isn't the right time for me. And I'm, it's so cool that you think of me as someone you'd wanted to partner on this stuff, but I just wasn't ready for that. And then when I, I, you know, I got clear with myself that I wanted to move, I approached her and I said, listen, I'm moving back to Ohio. First big news. Yeah. Number one, take a seat. <laughs> Number one. Yeah. That's that's kind of a big bomb to drop on you because um, she was my longest standing employee and it was her, you know, her livelihood. And I was like, and I want to offer to either A, sell you the business or B, become your partner. And honestly, at this point, I'm open to either possibility. Yeah. And I kind of laid the financials out for her. I, I had, a you know, someone appraise the business so that it was equitable for both of us. So, you know, I wasn't going to you know, undercut myself or her for that matter, I wanted to make sure that it made sense for all of us. And it's interesting selling a business like that, where you're the sole, one of the sole providers. Um, but I feel like we created a really fair financial um, agreement. And, you know, she said, I, I want to be your partner. I think that's the best setup for me. Um, yeah. And so I was like, okay, great. Let's, let's try and see what happens. And then we spent many months like creating uh, agreements around the partnership. And, you know, I think these kinds of things, like I'm an artist, but I'm also a very pragmatic person. <laughs> and I think sometimes creative people want to like skip over these steps. And it was like, it's absolutely essential that we have strong agreements because we never know what life holds. Like that's how I see it at least. And these were legally binding agreements, right? Um, if something happened to one of us or, you know, one of us wanted to get out of the business, like what did those processes look like? And so we have a really strong um, set of agreements that, uh, a co another coach helped us create and then that a lawyer helped us like create a legal document out of. And I moved here in January, 2020. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of given myself like a range of dates and I was like, okay, by the end of 2019, I want to be in Ohio. Cause you know, I was like trying to figure out the business stuff with her and apply to jobs and just figure out how I was going to make money here. And so I, you know, I landed at the beginning of 2020 and, um, and then in March, my, my birthday is March 7th. So March 7th, 2020 is kind of like, you know, when COVID became oh a reality gosh. in Ohio. Yeah. Yeah. So I launched a website um, under my name. Um, there's another heirloom chef in Cincinnati. Again, if you're listening to this, hello, I've never <laughs> met you, but <laughs> yeah. So I couldn't use the same brand name, which in a way, like in the, you know, I was very upset about that for a while, but in a way kind of became um an opportunity to decide what I wanted to do here versus yeah. just try and like use the same model and the same kind of aesthetic and values and they're very related you know they're both like my brain child now with Erica's support too we but um I launched a website under my name in February because we didn't have the branding squared away and we were trying to figure out what to do and then the pandemic hit <laughs> Yeah. And you're like, well, <laughs> well, I just, well, I was like, well, I really want to make sure the business I spent the last decade building does not fall apart. You know, right. that was really, really important to me. And it was very stressful because it, you know, I just have invested so much of my life into building that business. And so I did do that. We did a lot of, you know, problem solving and 
new protocols and all that stuff. And it survived. It, we took a hit for a few months, but our business has expanded a lot there. Great. Gra- gratefully. Yeah. And um, Erica has been uh, like an amazing manager and, you know, a great thought partner and, and partner. So I feel really grateful for that relationship. And by the summer, I had I had like uh, some really intense health things come on, probably because of the stress, honestly. And so I I did start I got my first client like in July of 2020, I think, um, or one of the first clients. And I started cooking in a commercial kitchen with a friend here. Uh, she has like a little kitchen space. And um, and I, I think it started making the so also what happened was like I was going to the farmer's market. There's a farmer's market in Northside around the corner from my house. I like I'd always been interested in gardening, but I'd never really made the leap. Um, but like, you know, there wasn't a lot more to do than be outside at that time. And everything slowed down. Like I'd been cooking for like five or six clients a week for years and I wasn't cooking for anybody. Yeah. It that was, must have been like a shock to the system almost. Like, yeah. Cause I think in my mind, I was like, I don't need to cook. I'm fine. You know, I, like I had gotten to that point where I was like, Oh, cooking isn't that important to me or not that it wasn't important to me, but it wasn't important to me to be the chef. I thought, and then I was like, whoa, I really miss it. You know, it's good to stop, especially after so many years of doing the same thing, because it definitely gave me and then the health issues. I was like, maybe I won't be able to cook again. You know what I mean? So it was like so many things at once. And it like kind of brought me back to like what I loved about it, mm-hmm. you know, and then I started a garden at my house. My first garden ever. I'd never had my own garden. Um, these I started dating a farmer. <laughs> That that, helps. That helped. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And meeting some of his like friends and folks, you know, um, in Eastern Ohio. And uh, I started fermenting. So I started making sauerkraut again, like all my friends in California were making sauerkraut all the time. And I was always like kind of on the periphery. Same with gardening. Everyone I knew was a gardener on the periphery, but I was like just grinding at my business. So sometimes you just don't have space, even though those things are fun and exciting for you to like try these new things. And I did Suddenly I had space to start fermenting, made some kombucha, some sauerkraut. I'm still making sauerkraut and kimchi now. Um, And like gardening was like a whole new world for me too. And so I was like posting on my Instagram about my gardening adventures. I had a chef Maggie Lawson Instagram for the first time I was like marketing myself as a chef. So that was kind of interesting. Like everybody in Cincinnati is like, oh, you're chef Maggie. And I was yeah. like, yeah, I know that's, I know I, we were talking before we recorded and I was like, yeah, so I'll, you know, I'll talk about you in the beginning. And I was like, Chef Maggie, right? Like, that's how I know you. And that's honestly, that's how you are in my phone. <laughs> it's great. I love it. I mean, I am Chef Maggie, but like it hadn't been my identity as strongly as it became because I was literally marketing Chef Maggie as my business. Yeah. Um, and so I was posting on my business Instagram about about the garden and about the seasons and about like for me, like food and gardening and working with local farmers is like also a practice in connecting with nature and connect, connecting to the natural parts of myself. I mean, we're natural beings. Like nature is not something outside of us. We are it. You know what I mean? Like that's how I see it at least. But like when we spend like 90% of our time inside, which is true of most of us, you talk a lot about that too. And I, I sincerely believe that we kind of lose touch with that. We're in these little boxes all day. And then you know, I, I, I love being outside and I wish, I think one of my goals definitely moving forward is to spend more time outside and the garden has really supported me in doing that. Cause I want to go tend to it and check on it and see what's going on. Um, but like, I want my food and the way that I cook and the way that we cook now as a team to, re- to draw people into that as well. If they're not going to leave their houses in the middle of winter, at least they know that this like kale was growing underneath some like, you know, cover yeah. in the middle of winter. Yeah. How amazing. Like, I didn't know things could grow in the middle of winter in Ohio. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that there were all these foods that existed in wild places. Like, I, d- I didn't know what a pawpaw was until I moved back. You know, there's a lot of like foods that you can and, and all these mushrooms. And and I think I wasn't the only one because I think that like being forced out of public spaces and into more natural and wild spaces has drawn a lot of people into that kind of inquiry about how what's what's in the landscape that we can eat. You know what I mean? And also the site, like, you know, it was terrifying, I'm sure for you too, to go into the grocery store and there wasn't food. Like I'd never had that experience in my whole life. And I was like, I would always believed in the local food system and I've always believed in cooking and eating seasonally. Like that's not a new concept for me. Like 
remember telling my therapist i love therapy too and i check on the, about that yes. podcast sometimes yes <laughs> remember telling my therapist that like i couldn't take the mushrooms from china and don't worry i take things i mean sometimes i buy things from china like it's not china specifically but i was like this thing traveled across the world why does it need to come from across the world when we have mushrooms in the hills of you know of the city yeah so it's like i i've always felt like kind of like in I've always had like an inner experience of those things, but like having to stop and slow down so much and not being able to cook for clients. Like I really started going down this path of like, why am I cooking now 10 years later? Like, what am I passionate about? And why am I in Ohio? Like, why am I here? You know, not, I mean, I shared all the like kind of reasons that I came back, you know, the housing and my parents and, but I'm like, I also felt very drawn here you know, I felt like my work is supposed to be here. So I think I was also, I, I'm still in that inquiry, but I'm like, what does this place need that I have to offer? Yes. I love that. Yeah. I love that. And it, it just, like you were talking about earlier, you stepped into it, right? You didn't go like searching right away. It was more of like, I'm going to take this step and then that's going to lead to take this step. And so all of those steps from you moving back here have led to now yeah. what you have. Yeah. And now you're able to bring all these things that really matter to you together to serve other people, which is ultimately your goal. Yeah. And your food is your artwork, right? Like that is considered it's, art. I mean, it, it is It is kind of ish. <laughs> I think it is. Well, it's becoming more integrated, which has also been really cool. Because I think for a while when I was like first starting the business, I was just trying to make money because I needed, you know, I wasn't paying my bills that well. You know what I mean? I was really struggling financially. So I really felt like I had to kind of like compartmentalize the part of myself that has really strong like social justice values and like, you know, was really passionate about certain aspects of cooking and nutrition. And I had to kind of like create something that I felt like people would really want to buy versus I didn't want to alienate folks. And I still don't want to do that. And like, I think that being here has, and and the pandemic too, has just been like, this is urgent. Like I can't keep compartmentalizing. Like this is not going to serve anyone, including myself, because that is not good for my spirit. <laughs> like right. my spirit feels it when I'm not being honest. And some people won't be okay with it. Some people won't like it. And that's okay. They're probably going to get their needs met somewhere else. Like I'm okay with that. You know, I'm mm-hmm. also in a space financially where I can stand in that mm-hmm. and say, okay, you know, maybe we don't grow as fast or maybe uh, we do some, something slightly different because of that. And we take those risks, but I, you know, I can afford to do that now. Whereas before I was just like, I need money. Like right? I need like, to support myself. Can I please cook for you? Yes. Please. I will go forage these mushrooms for you myself. Like. Oh, I don't do that. I don't want to kill anybody, but <laughs> I love it. But, yeah. and stopping also just made me reconsider what my, you know, where, what my stance was like slowing down. Just, I had to kind of do a deep dive into what was important to me. Spending a lot of time on that farm with my ex-partner, also was very inspiring and very educational. Um, even though they're my ex now, I would not, (laughs) I would, it was, it was a great experience to like, I had never really been in Eastern Ohio, you know, in like that setting that was like so rural. I grew up in Middletown that's surrounded by cornfields and soybeans, but it felt, you know, it's commodity crops. So it's feeding animals. It's going towards the industrial food system. So I didn't feel connected to the farms there. Yeah. So how did you then end up taking what you had grown in California and developed with your business there. And then what is really the goal for Goosefoot Cook and Grow? And then also I'd love if you could, if you're willing to share yeah. how you came up with that name. Cause you shared that at your launch party. Yeah. So, you know, just talk, cause <laughs> yeah. I actually didn't know what that was. And when you shared it, I was like, that's really cool. Like I had yeah. no idea what Goosefoot was. Yeah. So yeah. Sure. Um, so I decided eventually that if I wanted to work with local farms, it made more sense to have a central kitchen. Because we can't just order a little bit of food every day. That doesn't make sense for most farms, right? Um, Also, the price point is different here. Like we serve a different population. And so the price point of doing it that way also made sense to do it in a central kitchen. Um, So the model is a little bit different. It's really similar in the sense that we're personalizing it, but we're doing it out of one kitchen and then we're delivering on Mondays and Tuesdays right now. And then we're also doing some in-home chef work for a few clients. So if you're some, so someone listening... Um, what does the process look like for them to work with you? Um, you can go on the website. There's a survey that is linked or you can just fill out an inquiry and say, hey, can you reach back to me? I want to talk to you more if you don't want to fill out the survey. But the survey is a survey that you filled out, right? It's like super thorough. It gives me a sense of like what your dietary needs are, what your preferences are, what your family like thinks is healthy. Um, and so I take a look at that survey and I reach back to you and I say, OK, this is what it sounds like you need. 
and um, you get like a personalized quote based on your needs. So if you have a ton of dietary needs, it's going to cost a little bit more, right? Because it takes us more time to do that. Um, but it's kind of based on on that survey and like what information I can glean from that survey in a conversation with you. Um, and the and food that you use is majority locally sourced, right? Definitely during like the growing season. Like right now we're in kind of the dregs of winter, like late winter. So um, less of it's locally sourced. We are working with a meat farmer in Hillsborough that does the lamb, beef and chicken and another one that does pork for us. So that's really easy to get local because we can just have that in our freezer all the time. Um, but they're, you know, and we, we shop at ETC, which is a local kind of produce vendor i guess they sell other season or they sell other local goods too but uh 92 of their stuff is coming locally so we're shopping from them and even if they get some stuff from california we're still shopping there you know they're a locally owned business um and then we are working with some local farmers so yeah, yeah it, it's it varies on what time of the year to be honest like i wish that it was all local but i don't know if we could people aren't willing to just eat kale right now. <laughs> right, right. They want some more things. They but want some more things. Yeah. So I we're think, trying to get a balance. <laughs> yeah. I think it's amazing that you have such good relationships with the local farms, right? And the farmers, because you get to see firsthand what it is, what they're doing. So that way, you know what the quality of the food is and you can pass that on to your clients. And I think in general, people are, they do, I think, want to eat locally and things that are grown not that far from them and doesn't have to travel far. It's just, it's hard to to, it's hard to do. It's hard to do. It's hard to find. It's hard to know where to look. So you take yeah. that guesswork out by doing that because then they fill out the survey. They say, this is what I need. You kind of give an estimate or like a sample menu of what it would look like for yeah. a week or whatever. Yeah. And knowing like, okay, well, the local stuff is taken care of because they take care of that. Right. I think that's a huge benefit to working with you in that aspect for people who are interested in that. I hope so. It's And it's, it's like any relationship, like you know, one of our farmers is kind of retiring and, you know, like they, they have life things that happen. They're all small businesses too. So it's like evolving all the time. Like we're trying to seek out new farms all the time and develop new relationships so that we do have a strong base to work with at any moment. Um, and that's like a really important, exciting part of our work too. Cause yeah. then, like you said, it keeps it fresh for us. We're like, Oh, there's this new kind of Asian pear that I didn't know about or, like they want to talk to us about these like interesting grains that they're growing or, you know, like that's that's exciting, especially with farmers who are trying to kind of keep growing and evolving their businesses. And then we get to grow our businesses together, like Old Dutch Hops, the meat farmers, they've become my friends. I've been to their farm several times and it's you met Amanda, I think, at the yes, opening. I yeah. Did. Yeah. 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 Like another woman owned business. Like she's like a third generation farmer and she's a badass. Like, yes. <laughs> Yes. So like, cool. And I, I had no idea that they were, they're in Hills, Hillsboro, like Hillsboro, Hillsboro yeah, yeah. They're in Hillsboro. Yeah. So amazing. Yeah. yeah their it, farm is gorgeous. They treat the animals really well. And, and then I learn more about that because I'm not a farmer. I, you know, I love gardening. I love being outdoors, but I'll never be a farmer, you know? Right. right. Um, and their reality is a lot different than mine, you know? So it's also like a cool education for me. There's another chef who works with me, Chef Liv. Um, she's also been to the farm and she's in constant contact with them. And we're like, oh, wait, meat is seasonal, too. Like, you can't put chickens outside in the middle of winter. Right. You know, and right. they deep freeze it. They freeze it in a way that it can stay, like, through the slaughterhouse that they use, that it can stay good for a long time. So we do have chicken in the middle of winter. Don't worry, people. It's not saying that. But they can't raise chickens in the middle of the winter. Right, right. Yeah, no, that was really cool to meet her because I, you know, I'm curious. I'm like, oh, so what do you do with this? And what does that mean? And yeah. how, like, how do you move the animals and this and that? Yeah. So that was really cool to here, like that's happening not that far, like 40 minutes from me. Uh, when you'd think like, oh, that's happening elsewhere. You have to like order online to get meat like that. So that's totally. really cool. Yeah. And they're really passionate about it. They feel very loyal to their client base. They have a CSA too. So you can order like weekly or monthly, uh, mm -hmm. like a, a shipment of meat and they'll drop it off for you Yeah, at your house. So yeah. I'll put a link to their, I'll put a link to their website in okay. the show notes. Great. That way people can check them out. Great. Yeah. I would say that is one of the strongest relationships I've developed here. And yeah, it's, it's a great source of information, like an inspiration for us as chefs too, working that closely with them. Definitely. Yeah. It helps you connect better and that way the, and then the client becomes connected to that farm too. Exactly. So share the story on Goosefoot. So I was, finding a name was very hard because I have very high standards. <laughs> 
Not a bad thing. <laughs> not a bad. It's not going to be Maggie's Kitchen. That's not going to be the name of it. Chef Maggie's Kitchen was not what we're going to call it. Um, obviously, someone probably offered up that name at some point. Um, so I wanted the name to stand out and I wanted it to reflect our values and reflect our ethos. And um, that took a minute. I uh, I was reading this article about a chef in West Virginia that kind of did what I did. He moved back to his hometown and started a restaurant there and started a, um, a chef's garden, like a market garden where he was taking things out of the garden. And he talked about lamb's quarters, this, this plant um, that's also called Goosefoot. And I read that article and I fell asleep and I had this like crazy dream that there was like a stock of Goosefoot growing someplace. And I couldn't find any more. Like it was just one. And I was like, what is going on? And I was like, so distressed. It's probably an anxiety dream. I mean, let's be honest, <laughs> but <laughs> felt very prophetic as well. I was like, what is up with this plant? You know, like, why is it speaking to me? Um, and so I woke up and it like, you know, I remember some of my dreams, but not a lot of them, but that one really stuck with me. And I shared it with my business coach who's from Texas. She's real cute. And she was like, I believe in dreams. Like that's your name. <laughs> You should name it that. <laughs> and I was like, uh, okay. Yeah. Um, and like the cool thing about it is it grows on the periphery of agricultural spaces. It's a wild plant, but it grows a lot of times in those spaces. And native the native folks like have traditionally they've seen it as a great food source because like the grain or the it's part of the amaranth family. So the grains are actually more nutrient dense than quinoa. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And they would like wild cultivate it, which means that they would, you know, it'd still be growing in like a wild place, but they would create like conditions to help it flourish. Okay. Which I thought was really cool. And like it's in our landscape. Like you can see it in my, you know, my friends have some in their front yard. Like you can find it in lots of places here. The leaves, especially in the spring, are also like kind of taste like spinach. Like they have a similar um, texture and flavor. And then the, the seed pods come on in the fall, I think. Okay. So. Wow. That, now I'm going to be on the hunt for those to see yeah. like, if I find them. Yeah. And I thought that was so cool because like it kind of like my experience of moving back here, I'm like, wait, like I think our regional cuisine is present and emerging. You know, we got our skyline right. with this Greek origins. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Very loose. But yes, it's there. Very loose Greek origins. All right. That was a story I heard. I mean, we'll explain that later on in another podcast. But I mean, the, the reality is like in the same way. And I think that there are chefs here that are working more in that way. But in the same way that California had this like, we're like, oh, wait, there's all these foods around us that can really create an amazing like language food language um we have the same thing here but i think it's emerging in this you know and so part of i mean i'm not the only person into foraging like this has gotten way more popular but like that idea that you could just walk into the landscape and eat things that you didn't know were edible is really exciting to me yeah that blows my mind i had another chef on a few weeks ago uh lorenzo he's in columbus and the morning so i met him at an event and he was the he he catered the food and mm -hmm. he starts explaining what the food is and he's like yeah and i foraged these mushrooms this morning and i was like wait what <laughs> like lorenzo is more brave than me like go lorenzo what the heck like yeah and so that really was like wait people are doing this yeah. and then yeah and then i've seen you talk about it and like post pictures on your instagram about yeah. it and it's so amazing that that's out there because again you have no idea what is edible or not so to see that there's a lot more than you think out there now again i don't encourage you to like go out and start picking things and eating well you we could learn about it though i mean there's a lot of resources like there are a lot of guides and there are a lot of folks that are teaching about it and that that's my goal is like not necessarily to start serving foraged foods as part of our offerings but to encourage people to start learning about these things because it does like it builds this for me, it builds this empathy with nature and this like feeling of reciprocity. You know what I mean? Like not that nature isn't giving me nour nourishment every day, but like when I walk into a grocery store and I pick up a bag of carrots, like I have a different experience than when I like find like some goosefoot or some lane's quarters growing out in, <laughs> in the woods and pick it up and eat it. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's a different experience and I kind of it's a different experience for me. And it's like changing my spirit and changing the way that I think about food. And I want to offer that experience to other people. And I want to be in community with them as we do it. I don't want it just to be the singular kind of like special kind of bougie experience to put it right. bluntly. Like, right. Well, and it sounds like this has really helped shape your own health journey too. Yeah. Like the more that you've been invested in, you're learning more about food 
in agriculture and the way that these farmers are, you know, growing their food and raising their cattle and this and that, like, it sounds like there's been this almost identical or parallel progression in your own health and wellness journey. Yeah. 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 And it's just like a really powerful reminder that I need to be outside more. Yeah. You know, and I need to, yeah, I need to continue learning and growing. And also, like I said at the beginning, I think there's like an urgency around it because our world is changing and climate change is changing the shape of our food system. And so like, who do, if I own a food business, like who do I want to be in that conversation? Who do I want to be in that change? You know? And like, it feels urgent. Like it feels, and when I talk to farmers and they're explaining how climate change is impacting their farms, like it makes me feel, it's like, it's not even an intellectual thing, right? It becomes like an inner kind of connection and yeah, it is an important part of my journey. Like, Yeah. You said. <laughs> is that something that you want to incorporate in your classes? Like you said that you, okay. Yeah. I would love to do farm visits and yeah. I would love for some of the farmers to potentially teach classes. Like Ooh, that would be so cool yeah. to visit a farm. Yeah. yeah. So the idea is that it's like a season's worth of classes. So it, there would be some cooking classes inside of that, but um, part of it would be like visiting local farms and getting to know local farmers and being in conversation with them again, because they're part of our community. You know, and it's I don't know. There aren't that many spaces where you get to have conversations like that's the cool thing about I was a teacher for. A, well, I told you I was a teacher when I first started out. And then when I was starting my business, I was teaching and then I've taught art over the years um, on the college level. And like I love a classroom where people are relating to each other and getting to and getting to understand each other's perspectives and shaping how they think. Yeah. And that's the kind of space that I want to create with these classes. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Definitely be on the lookout for that. OK, yeah. Tell me, I'm just, I'm kind of curious now and you probably, or maybe you're sick of these questions, but no, like, I'm, I'm down. These like, are great. I, like I, what, do, so, you know, as a chef, like, do you cook the type of, like, do you eat the things? Oh yeah. You, you were asking like, me, I made a list of my wellness re yeah, regime. Like, what do you want to hear that? What is that? What do you do for yourself? <laughs> so many things. Yeah. I'm like such a, let's like, hear it. This is like, I love it. I'm very health focused. I can't, I can't help it. Let's um, do it. Get the list out. Okay. Well, yeah, I have a list here in yeah. front of me. So, um, meditation, that's been like a cornerstone of my, my wellness routine for many years since my late 20s. Um, I also started doing this thing called dynamic neural retraining. So like I have a very nervous, a very sensitive nervous system. I explained that in yeah. terms of the Bay Area, why I needed to live in a, a different kind of place. And this kind of helps you um, repair your nervous system. So it's a form of meditation, basically. I've been doing that for the last eight or nine months. Um, I've been working with like a Western herbalist. Very cool. So I do these uh, herbal infusions every morning and part of like their ethos around herbalism is using plants that are readily available and people proof so a lot of those things that are things that can grow here I mean I order them from other places but like oat straw milky oat tops nettles um corn silk yeah <laughs> so every day is a different infusion okay that's so cool yeah. and what have you noticed from doing that uh, it's helped. I mean, so oat straw and oat tops, for example, are really great for your nervous system. And like herbal medicine works in a way that like the you're kind of adding back in and the impact is like slow and steady. So it's yeah. not like an overnight thing. So I have noticed that my nervous system is a lot more resilient. Yeah. Even in the middle of like a very, you know, stressful time right. in the world. Right. Um, so it's helped me build my resilience and um, kind of deal with some other health issues that I've been dealing with. Nice. And then I eat a lot of whole local foods. The Farmer's market is around the corner from my house. I mean, I also shop at the grocery store. I don't think I'm like a purist. And I'm like out milking my cow every morning. I don't have a cow. I live in the middle of the city. <laughs> right. But right. Um, I, yeah, I do go to the, the farmer's market every week. And it's not a huge market, but it's it's super sweet. It's a great community. And I look forward to going there every week. And I I buy produce and then I kind of just freestyle it. I'm like, you know, maybe I'll make like a big pot of like rice porridge or something. And then I'll add what I have into the rice porridge or um, I'll cook up a lot of greens and then I'll just serve myself in di different iterations of the greens. I've seen how you meal prep. It's kind of similar to that. Yeah. I don't like, I don't get things with the intention of like, I'm going to make this recipe. It's yeah. more of like, Oh, I have these things and this just works. And yeah. again, I'm not professionally trained. I don't know any, I don't really know a lot, but it's more of like this. Just I think you're doing great. I've been well, watching your you. stories. I think you're doing great. I appreciate great. that because <laughs> it's also for me, like what's efficient enough that feels yeah. like it's not overwhelming because my weeks are so packed. So I'm like, Same. how can I get as much nutrition in as possible and as much nourishment as possible, but keep it simple. That's yeah. kind of my take the last few years. Um, and I, but I'd love to expand and do more of those like 
um, I don't know, just expand a little bit more, but yeah. I'll get there. Yeah. 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 I, I, I'm similar in my approach. I'm single, so I don't have a family to feed. I, I know that's a different challenge when you have like partners and families and stuff, but I just have a lot of nice produce in my fridge and then I have well-stocked pantry and then I just kind of freestyle. Yeah. And then we also get leftovers from our meal meal service because we have, you know, everybody gets a certain amount of portions and there's generally a few things that like a grain here, or maybe a little bit of soup or whatever, what's left over. So I'll take a little bit of that home too and I can nice. benefit from that. So yeah. I'm eating the same delicious nourishing food that my clients get to eat now, which yeah. is great. And then I'm training. I have a trainer. I bought. A, I bought. <laughs> I you hired. Bought <laughs> I did not buy him. I'm sorry, Gima. <laughs> I hired. I'm getting tired. I'm using the wrong words. I hired um, a personal trainer about uh, eight or nine months ago because I didn't want to go to the gym because of COVID. I felt nervous about being in that public space. And um, so I've been training with him one on one, which has been super exciting because he's like teaching me how to move my body in more precise ways and feel into like these core muscles that I've that I've really struggled to build sometimes that that alone exercise has been so helpful in dealing with chronic pain. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And I found that before I was going to the gym before and like doing group fitness, but that just wasn't possible in the beginning of 2020. So I've been working with him and then I work, I have a friend that I work out with once a week too. We have like a meetup and once a week we get to, we did hot yoga at Sage Yoga last night. It was great. Nice. I've heard such good things about that place. Yeah. It was 106 degrees in the studio. But wow, yeah. So she and I just do whatever we we feel inspired to do. And then I go running with my dad, my 71-year-old dad, once a week. That's amazing. And that's so nice because that was what, like a reason you moved back yeah. is to spend time with them. So being able to do things that are health conscious and, you know, fostering wellness is, yeah. that's amazing that you can now incorporate that with your time with your family. My dad loves running and he still runs at 71. That's amazing. So we run for 40 minutes, not super fast, which is fine by me. Yeah, <laughs> that's so cool. <laughs> I'm not the biggest runner, but like when it's with my dad, I feel really proud of him and yeah, just proud I can keep up with him. So <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> we do that once a week. Um, and then like the last things are um, investing in my relationships. Yeah. Um, with family and friends. Like I really try to make that a priority uh, because that's so important to my wellness. Like Community is so important. So important. Yeah. And I think it's awesome that even though you moved back at some would say maybe the worst time, like right yeah. before the pandemic hit us here, like you that you found your people. And I think yeah. that's so important that you have that because a lot of people um, still struggle with that. Right. Like I know people that moved here before the pandemic hit, too, and they didn't get a chance to meet their people. So they still feeling isolated and that yeah. impacts your health so much. Yeah. So I'm glad to hear that. That's also like a priority for you in terms of health and wellness. It's definitely a priority. And it's not it's, it's had its challenges, too. Don't get me wrong. It definitely has moments where it's really challenging. But I'm like, this is important for my well-being. Like, yeah. I need to do this. Um, and then investing in my community, like just trying to show up for service in different ways. I really believe like, you know, we've talked a bit about this, but I really believe that I want I want to be of service to other women and people of color that are trying to start their own businesses um, because it's such a treacherous kind of course sometimes for some yeah. people. Um, like I, you know, I have two mentees, um, that I support in their financial wellness. Um, and that, that's kind of my final thing is financial wellness. So I have a lot of tools in place to help me maintain clarity about my expenses and my earnings and in my business, but also in my personal life. Yeah. That's, oh, that's so important too. Cause the, it's funny. Cause when I, when I work with clients, a lot of times it's like, again, this is holistically restored, right? And it's not just like what you eat and what you, if you're working out, right. but we'll talk about different stressors in different areas of our lives. And when we start talking about finances, it's like, I can see that that's such a burden on them. And I'm yeah. like, this is probably what's holding you back from really yeah. progressing in your health. If this is the, if this feels like this much weight for you. So it's amazing yeah. that you've really found a way that works for you to not have it affect your health in that way. Yeah, it did affect my health. So that's why I was yeah. like, you know, I was telling you I was struggling really hard. And I was like starting my own business again, kind of forced me to, you know, find new tools and yeah. also make it part of my spiritual path. Like I've always been a really spiritual person, but I'm like, there was like a kind of feeling that money was bad and that it wasn't part of my spiritual life, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't like capitalism. <laughs> Like I'm very contradictory. I'm a business owner that doesn't like capitalism, but that's real. Um, yeah. I don't believe it really serves most of us and being whole, healthy people. Um, and that's what I want for my community in the world is for us to, you know, be supported and being well and enjoying our lives and and being in like good relationship with each other and the earth. And I don't think that 
capitalism does that. And this is the system that I was born into. And these are the ways that I need to meet my needs. And also, if I want all those things, I need to, you know, work inside of that system. I mean, I know, I know not everyone believes that, but that seems to be the path that has I've chosen and that yeah. I'm on. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think it's, it, it, it is a huge stressor and it does hold us back from being healthy people. Right. Definitely. Well, it's, I, I appreciate you sharing what you do because I think it's nice to hear because, again, I, people who are listening, it's like it's good to just bounce, ide- get ideas from other people and like, oh, well, maybe that's something I could try and I'm going to look into that. Yeah. So it's always important to hear that. So, for you know, one, I want to thank you for being here. Yeah. I appreciate your time. You great. shared so many good gems with us. I'm excited for people to hear this. Good. Can you share, and I'll put this in the show notes, but where can people find you like business-wise and then also just in general, like how can they keep up with you and um, follow what you do? Yeah, I'm on the Instagram. That's how I met Evie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's actually how I built my community a lot here. Yep. Um, doom scrolling served me at least a little bit. I'm sure it didn't serve me in other ways, but at least in that sense, it did help me connect with a lot of folks I wouldn't have otherwise. So um, on Instagram, we're Goosefoot Cook and Grow. And then the website is goosefootcookandgrow.com. So those are the two places that you can kind of stay up on what what's happening and um, get more information about the services. And yeah, yeah, definitely. I will have those linked. And then every episode I ask, I either give a health challenge to the listeners or ask the guests to give one. So what would your health challenge be for the listeners this week? I mean, I would ask them to step outside and notice how their body responds to spending time outside in a green space like maybe not in the middle of a busy street but like in a place with trees and grass and you know it's the middle of winter here so there's not it's not very grassy but even like spending five or ten minutes outside like that would be my challenge like go outside and see how you feel I love it perfect I will certainly be doing that but (laughs) but I'm going to make it more of an effort to get out into like open space right not just like my neighborhood so that'll be I'll be partaking in that too yeah great Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, I appreciate it. I think it's going to be awesome. And again, check out the show notes for the links to everything. And if you have any questions for Maggie, I'm sure she'd be happy to answer. Yeah, my email is on the website and I'd be happy. All right. Have a great week, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I so appreciate your interest in holistic health and hope you learned something you can apply to your own life. References from this episode are linked in the show notes, as well as links to find me, Evie, on social media platforms. If you'd like to learn more about services from Holistically Restored, click on the link in the show notes. I'd love to hear from you. If you enjoyed this content, I encourage you to subscribe and also leave a review on Apple Podcast. Until next time, be well, my friends.